This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Many anxious property owners are keeping their eyes on Lake Ontario as the water continues to rise, approaching the record set during the previous flood in 2017. City workers and volunteers are making 9,000 new sandbags available to residents over the next few days. That is on Toronto Island. And these are in addition to dams and sump pumps that have already been deployed after last week's high winds, damaging waves. And it's not just the islands that we've been seeing so much of. There are other areas of concern. I'm talking about the beaches and Oakville, as well as other municipalities around the province. So, uh, we have Toronto's Chief Communications Officer, Brad Ross, Oakville's Deputy Fire Chief, Andy Glynn, and we will also be joined by flood prevention expert, Tamsin Lyle, in British Columbia. Welcome to you all. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank, thank you, you for having us. Okay. Good good afternoon here. Thanks for joining us. Right. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, let us start with Brad Ross. Hi, Brad. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. What are the... Uh, we know about the islands. We've all seen the pictures, but that's not the only area where there's a problem. No, it's not. I mean, you know, the, the lake the lake levels are, you know, at record levels now. I mean, they uh, uh, we've never seen levels this high in Lake Ontario. And so, yes, the island is affected. But for Toronto, uh, the, the eastern beaches in particular are also affected. So Woodbine Beach near Ashbridge's Bay, uh, seeing significant ponding on that beach. Um, half the volleyball courts are now underwater there. There's the, the beach volleyball courts. Um, the um, you know, There's a boathouse a little further. Further to the east, um, that is uh, that is also uh, seeing water in it. We're pumping it out. Uh, there's a number of measures that we took in 2017 after the flooding then to protect infrastructure like our boardwalk. But you know, Woodbine Beach is just too vast, too long, too wide uh, to to try to to fight it. Uh, we just have to wait for those uh, lake levels to to begin to recede, which we should see in about the next week. But it's going to take as long to recede as it took to to uh, to rise. So it's going to be some time before we can officially open the beaches, for example, for public swimming. So um, we, though today, are in very much a wait and see mode in terms of what uh, the forecast is for wind. Uh, the island is of particular concern to us right now with respect to uh, residents and businesses. There are parts of the island that we have simply closed right now. Hanlon's Point is a place where you cannot uh, get to now by boat. Uh, any shipments that have to come um, over to the island via Hanlon's Point are now being rerouted through Ward's Island because of the the, the water levels are that high right now. Uh, just before we move on, are you saying uh, uh, is the boardwalk on the beach uh, underwater? 
Uh, parts of it probably will be. Um, the main road, though, is is the chief concern. It is about 40, 40 centimeters or so of water. Uh, so we have caution tape up around the area. Uh, the island remains open. I want to stress that. People are free to come over to the island. They won't be able to go via Hanlon's Point now, but um, Center Island and Ward's Island remain open. And the, the pumping efforts that we've been doing, the sandbagging we've been doing is having an effect. But, but with these lake levels and with this wind forecast from the north, uh, what ends up happening is the inner harbor becomes like a, like a bathtub with those high winds and it, it just sloshes the water around and then it overtakes uh, the meter bags and the sandbagging and the aqua dams, as you mentioned, off the top. So um, the island is open, but uh, there are parts of it that, that are off limits currently. Okay, let's bring in Andy Glynn. What's the situation in Oakville, Andy? Well, thank you. It's very similar to what it is in Toronto, and it really is dependent upon the wind direction. Uh, The lake levels are currently at record highs, but when we see an easterly wind that sweeps across Lake Ontario, uh, the levels increase significantly here in Oakville, um, just from, you know, from the surge that comes into the the harbors and into our uh, shorelines here in Oakville. Currently, we have both our harbors are essentially underwater at this point in time. Um, We have a number of boaters that have put their boats in the water that that simply can't get out to the docks to to get into their boats um, because the docks are underwater. Um, We also have a number of our parks that are relatively low-lying parks that sit along the shoreline that are really underwater at this point in time. So when we see eastern winds, it, it really is devastating for us here in Oakville. Thames and Lyle in British Columbia, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Uh, so I'd like to get the scoop on sandbags. We've heard that there are 9,000 sandbags. My understanding is that, that sandbags are good until they get saturated. I know that we have some, uh, I think they're called the leader, the bigger sandbags. Can, can you tell us about that? Sure. So, I mean, sandbags are an excellent uh, temporary measure for flooding. They're, they're your last line of defense. And they're good because they're easily deployed. Um, you can see them all over the city of Toronto based on the pictures I'm seeing, because I'm obviously not there. Um, but they've been deployed across the country. The challenge with them is, is that, like you said, they, they don't work exceptionally well for long periods of time. So once they're saturated or once the, the plastic material that encases them degrades, then they tend to fail. So that's a problem. And then the other problem that will be an issue for the city moving forward, and I know they're ready for it, um, is the fact that they are quite difficult to take down because the material inside the sandbags um, is often considered to be contaminated material and therefore has to be dealt with very carefully and has to go to landfill. So they're a good temporary solution, but there are a lot of other better temporary solutions um, that are available to us around the world, like water dams. And I think that some of these, uh, these, these larger community-scale things are being deployed in Toronto currently. So they're on it. But in fact, what we really need to be thinking about is not not using these last-ditch sort of temporary measures to protect ourselves from flooding, but really considering long-term strategies that reduce the exposure of people to being wet. So retreating from areas that will be consistently wet in the future. And then secondly, reducing the vulnerability of any assets and people and buildings we have in the floodplain by redesigning um, our, our buildings so that they can be wet. So rather than putting in temporary sandbags every year, 
designing our buildings um, to be what we call flood resilient or flood proofing. It's very interesting. We just did a show, I think it was last week, uh, that there is uh, a new floodplain map that is going to be coming out for Ontario. And some people may be surprised to find that they're in a floodplain. Brad Ross, before we get to that, I wanted to ask, I, I think that the costs of this flooding uh, is huge. I, I was hearing something on the order of $100,000 a week. What's this mm. going to do to the budget and the fact that Toronto is going to have to be dealing with cuts? And where's this money coming from? Well, yes. So there is a uh, an approximate cost of about $100,000, operating cost of about $100,000 a week. That's in addition to the uh, $28 million that was uh, allocated in the 2018 uh, budget for capital budget for uh, for um, mitigation strategies. So, um, you know, there there are costs built into our our operating uh, uh, parks operating budget, uh, and that that budget will uh, need to be used. And if we need uh, to, you know, seek more authority with respect to to costs, and we'll need to go to council for that. But there is a long-term strategy, just to pick up on what your other guest was saying, um, that the Toronto Region Conservation Authority, uh, the city, uh, and other orders of government commissioned a report from the TRCA that will be coming to uh, to the city in June uh, with with some recommendations and 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 uh, with with respect to you know a long-term mitigation for flooding because you know you're right you can't be um you know every year to be deploying sandbags and and you know uh, industrial sump pumps to to deal with the issue there is a long term plan that needs to be considered uh and so we we very much look forward to seeing that report in june Andy Glynn, what about the costs in Oakville? Well, I'll tell you, in 2017, the cost to the town was about $3.8 million for shoreline repairs as a, as a result of the flooding we had in 17. Uh, we, we don't know the extent of the flooding this year because clearly the water levels are too high, but I will say that there is damage to our shoreline and damage to our harbour. So I, I'm going to think that the, the, the cost is in excess of the $3.8 million that, that we had in uh, 2017. And you know, where that money comes from, that, that is going to be the, the difficult uh, situation and where we're going to find that through some type of emergency funding. Um, can I also speak to the, the importance of the sandbags? Because sure. I think the, the, the um, caller from BC made a, a very good point about, you know, this is only a temporary measure, but the sandbags here in Oakville have been helpful in a couple different ways. First, they delineated the, the deep water from some of the less deep water. So certainly in our harbors where if you step off the, off the dock or, or the walkways, you're going to be into really deep water. And so we've allowed those sandbags along there to really keep the, the residents and people back to know that if they step over those sandbags, they're going to be stepping into deep water over their heads. So that's been somewhat of a safety measure we put in place, but it also prevents we have tons of debris washing up on our shorelines. And what the sandbags do is prevents that debris from washing up and creating more damage to some of the areas that uh, we want to keep the, the debris away from. So the, the, that has been helpful from our perspective, the sandbags. You're right, the, it doesn't necessarily keep the water away, but it does work um, in our favor from a safety perspective. Okay, let's take a call from Peter in Toronto. Hi, Peter. Peter, are you there? 
Okay, uh, we had a problem with that call. Right now, we are going to take a very quick break, and we will be back uh, with more on this as floodwaters approach the record 2017 levels. I'm here with Toronto's Chief Communications Officer, Brad Ross, Oakville's Deputy Fire Chief, Andy Glynn, and Tamsin Lyle of Ebwater Consulting. But let's start with Gwendolyn in Innisville. Hi, Hello. Hello, you're on the air. Thank you. I'm driving in the car, so I hope you can hear me. Yes? Yes. I was watching a program the other day, and it's called Ford Innovation Nation. It's on weekly, and they have this new innovation of an inner tube-type device that's almost like when we were kids and we would float on the water with the inner tubes, but it's quite large. It's about a meter uh, across, and they can, uh, I guess they fill it up with air around um, a house or along the shoreline or along an island so that uh, it's a hundred times more effective than sandbags and a lot quicker. Okay, Gwendolyn, we're going to ask our experts about that. Thanks for your call. Tamsin, is that something you're familiar with? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the sandbags are one type of temporary measure for flooding, but there's actually a whole gamut of things out there, and some of them work at the very small scale around a building and are exactly these things. They can be um, tubes that are filled with water. They can be tubes that are filled with air. They can be um, sort of triangles um, that are supported on um, a little sort of, like a little tent contraption that um, blocks the water. So there are a lot of other solutions that are available to communities and to individuals in terms of that sort of emergency temporary flood barrier. And the benefit of these types of things over things like over sandbags um, is the is the fact that they can be redeployed year after year. So they're not just put in the landfill at the end of the event. Um, and they, they, they tend to work better because they're more comprehensive and so you're less likely to get leaks and things. So they are definitely something that works and I, I believe they're being deployed right now um, uh, along uh, Lake Ontario and so your other guests can certainly speak to that. And, and Brad Ross, yeah. does Toronto own any of these or plan to own them? Uh, we, what... Indeed, we have eight uh, what, what we call aqua dams. Uh, oh, these are, are the in, aqua dams, okay. Uh, they are in use, they are filled with water and they do... Uh, they do provide absolutely provide some some protection along the shoreline. So uh, so yes, they are in use. In addition to, you know, your standard sandbag that we're all familiar with, as well as to what what are called meter bags, which are uh, literally one square meter bag filled with sand, which uh, which act as a um, uh, more like a, a very large piece of armor stone, for example. The problem with the aqua dam and that we're seeing right now is that they you, know, you can't sort of stack them. At least the ones we have, because yeah. there are parts of the island that where the water has actually uh, is now covering the aqua dams uh, in some places. So um, they're a good temporary measure, absolutely, and they are in use. Andy Glynn, what are you going to be watching for, or is there kind of a timeline that you're worried about? Well, the the water, um, it looks or appears to be uh, reaching its peak. Uh, according to some of the documents I've received from the Lake Ontario-St. Lawrence River Board, it, 
it uh, projects uh, that this week or next week that, that we should reach the peak. But they are saying that we're going to see that level um, stay around for uh, quite a period of time. So I, I'm, I have to believe that we're going to be dealing with this high water level for in the next, you know, four to six weeks. And, um, you know, from our perspective, we, we are concerned about our, you know, the, the, the safety of our residents along our waterfront. And uh, we, we are trying to block off as much as we can, but we are concerned that, you know, residents stay away from these areas because we really don't know, you know, we just simply can't tell how much undermining has taken place along the uh, shoreline. So uh, we're concerned with that, and we really like that that message to our residents just to stay away for, for the time being. Brad Ross? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question for uh, So what is there, is there a timeline that you're looking at where you're particularly... Yeah, so uh, so th- that's right. So the TRCA, and that's where we get our information from, and and as well as uh, from the International Joint Commission that that manages uh, you know water flow from uh, the Great Lakes into the St. Lawrence Seaway. We're we're looking at at the water to reach its peak probably within the next. Uh, six to seven days, uh, and then as I as I mentioned earlier, it will begin to to recede uh, back to its normal levels. But that that will take as long as it took to rise. So uh, it'll be several weeks yet before the, the the lake levels are back down to the normal level. The good news, of course, though, is that we're not seeing them rise anymore. And so uh, as the weeks go by, we're seeing less and less. Uh, we, we will have less and less concern. There is beach erosion, though. Beaches are dynamic. We understand that. But there is erosion on the shoreline. And so uh, various parks across the city, including Rouge Park, for example, which uh, the, the, uh, the foot paths and the, and the parking lot are currently closed, that erosion means that, you know, uh, footings along along the shoreline are, are hazardous. And so we, we need to remind residents and, and visitors uh, that are walking the shorelines to be very, very careful at, uh, until things stabilize uh, in the next few months. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what would you like to tell residents? What measures, if any, should they be taking on their own? Well, right now on the island, certainly the residents on the island, of, there are about 700 people who live on Toronto Island, are very, very much involved in in uh, in the efforts. Um, you know, we we work very closely with the residents and their associations, and so uh, they're they're very much uh, aware of what is happening, and and they take steps to protect their property with either you know small sump pumps of their own, as well as sandbagging efforts. Um, you know, to to residents of Toronto, I mean, if you're if you're near the shore line, just please be careful and, and be aware of, of the hazards of, of erosion uh, that can occur that, you know, the, the, the ponding that occurs, um, wave action, especially during storms, uh, can be sudden and, uh, and water is incredibly strong and, and people need to be mindful of that. Um, but with respect to the island, you know, it is open. Um, ferry service to Centre and Wards Island remains uh, operational. Centre Island, and there's an amusement park there, is open. Uh, 
open. It is what we you know call high and dry, so it is a bit higher than than you know the rest of the island, and so it remains open. And people are encouraged to to come to the island this weekend. It'll be wet in in many places, but uh, it is open, and uh, and staff have been working twenty four seven to uh, to keep the island open, to keep the island safe. Andy Glynn, uh, we have a very short bit of time left. Do you anticipate any situation where people will have to leave their homes? We're not seeing that at this point in time. We have not received any calls from any of the residents. Uh, uh, but that, that being said, if, if when the winds change from the east, uh, anything can happen. Uh, we, we just ask the residents to, to respect the closures. We, we, are, uh, we are monitoring this on a daily basis. We do walk the shorelines, and we try to determine what, what is it, the, the safety areas, and we cordon those areas off right away. Tamsin Lyle, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, I mean, just encouragement that obviously this is a temporary scenario, but that it will happen again. And so being prepared and understanding that there is a flood hazard and a flood risk in in Toronto and across the country means that we are now enabled to do something about it. And some of those solutions are going to be hard, but that in the long run, it'll be better. Okay. Thank you very much. Toronto's Chief Communications Officer, Brad Ross, Oakville's Deputy Fire Chief, Andy Glynn, and Flood Prevention Expert, Tamsin Lyle. Thank you so much. Thank you, Libby. You're you're very well. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.